this morning I want to bring a fresh word really on um, the fear of the Lord and God's secrets is what I'm going to call it. And the fear of the Lord and God's secrets. There's a relationship between walking in the fear of the Lord, which the Bible says is the hatred of evil. It's the beginning of wisdom to hate what God hates and love what God loves. There's a relationship between the fear of the Lord and intimate friendship with God, whereby God shares his secrets with us. Um, you know, one of the concerns, of course, we share together, like in our in Messenger Fellowship, is this, this, this concept that this reality that the church needs to increasingly be aligned to God's kingdom, God's ways, God's character, and God's nature. And unfortunately, what happens in throughout church history is we get misaligned. We we in our in our emphasis of certain truths, we underemphasize other truths. Uh, equally important about the character and nature of God. And in recent Christian history, of course, we have, and rightly so, emphasized the goodness of God and the love of God. Say amen. amen. And Billy Graham just died, of course, one of the most famous verses he preached and most famous verses in all the Bible, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And of course, the love of God is a right and true emphasis, and yet in, in, in church life, in our, in our preaching expression, often it's easy for us to emphasize one aspect of God's character and nature in ways, but perhaps at the expense of underemphasizing or not even touching other areas of God, like His holiness, the fact that He is altogether perfect, right, true, and other than. Or perhaps God's wrath, the fact that he is not only perfect, but that he has perfect hatred for sin and for evil. And, and as a result, we become lopsided in our expression of spirituality when we overemphasize certain truths at, at the expense of other truths about the character and nature of God. And even, even as a six-year-old knows that when you have a basketball that's lopsided, you, you can't really play with that ball because it loses its functionality. Lop, our lopsidedness, I'm convinced, in our spirituality has led to part of our dysfunction, part of our, the loss of our functionality as a prophetic voice to the world. And so this morning, what I want to emphasize is the relationship between the fear of the Lord and, and God's secrets. I'm not going to so much uh, unpack the fear of the Lord as I'm going to take us to, through this idea that God um, is inclined to as we embrace walking in the fear of the Lord, he's inclined to share with us kingdom secrets. Psalm 25 verse 14 says this, the friendship of the Lord is reserved for those who fear him and to them he makes known his covenant. Uh, some translators translate the word friendship and they say it's the secret counsel of the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. To them he makes known his covenant. Another translator says um, it's something like uh, the, 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 the secrets of the Lord are reserved for those who fear God. To them he makes known his covenant. So there's a connection between friendship with God that's rooted in the fear of the Lord, hating what God hates and loving what God loves, and then receiving God's secrets. In a moment, we're going to unpack kind of what I'm, I'm convinced those God's secrets are. What does it look like to operate in those? But how many of you know that when you go down a path of freedom, when you experience an increasing way the power of the gospel, the Lord begins to dismantle strongholds in your life? How many of you know that sometimes we get confronted with the reality that there are aspects of our personalities that aren't consistent with God's word? And they're not consistent with, and reflective of how God designed us but instead, they're more reflective of the agenda and influence of the evil one. And in this freedom journey, we begin to discover, oh my goodness, there are whole aspects of my personality, things that I thought I would live and die with, that are actually not something that God designed me to operate in. And, and then we have this revelation that, oh man, some of my character flaws are not just character flaws, but they're actually sin. Things like fear. We go, what? Fear is a sin? Things like unbelief, it's not just this cute struggle, it's unrighteousness before God. Things like insecurities, when, we, when we're insecure in, in who we are, and, and, and we, as a result, we fear man and what he thinks about us, and, and, and we, or we fear the future. If we fear the unknown, we, we, we begin to call that sin, and we have that revelation, we go, oh my goodness, 
these aren't just cute character flaws or cute deficiencies. These are actually things that are an offense to God, and God's not designed me to operate in. And further, he's given me grace to overcome. Say amen. amen. But as we engage this journey with the Lord, what happens is, is in this freedom journey, we grow in a fear of the Lord. We begin to hate what God hates. We begin to love what God loves. Even yesterday, as I was sharing my story of, you know, abandonment, father left when I was three, you know, being exposed to uh, abuse, even sexual abuse as a young boy. As I share these stories and I watch God use even my own story through, and the power of the gospel impact other people's lives, there's a sense in which I grow in my hatred for evil as I speak to the enemy's work of evil in my life. And e even though God's healed, I speak to it and other people are able to bring kind of their darkness before the Lord into God's light for healing. I grow in, in my hatred for evil. That, that just is a natural product of what it means to get close to God. I remember as a young boy, after my mom came to the Lord and, and uh, her life was being transformed, you know, and, and uh, I remember, I'll never forget this, she called a family meeting. I was like, a family meeting? Like, we have family meetings in this? I thought only white people did that, you know? And, and so she called a family meeting. <laughs> she called a family meeting, and she says, uh, you know, we're, there's a few things that are happening in this family now. I said, really, a few things? And she says, number one, we're no longer going to allow watching The Simpsons. I'm like, The Simpsons? The Simpsons? What does Jesus have against a cartoon? You know, like. I was like, what has pastor been preaching that now Jesus is against the Simpsons? She's like, and furthermore, we are not going to be watching Married with Children. I'm like, Married with Children? What, what do you got? With, what's wrong with Al and Peg? You know, like what, what, you know, and so we're throwing a fit. And she says, uh, I don't like what these shows communicate about family. I'm like, Family? I'm like, here I am, you know, at, not in Christ, being offended by my mom's fear of the Lord, you know? How many of you, how many know when you grow in the fear of the Lord, sometimes it brings an offense to those around you that are comfortable in those areas of life that you are beginning to hate? And I said, what's wrong with the Simpsons and, 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 and Mary with children? Like, they both got a mom and a dad in the home. We don't even have that, you know, and you know, <laughs> and as I turned the other cheek, you know, <laughs> you know, my mom said, my mom said, she said, they might have a dad in the home, but you won't be a dad like that. You know, my mom, really what was happening, she was growing in her hatred of evil. She was growing in the fear of the Lord. And I'm convinced that when we grow in a hatred of evil, there's a separation that begins to occur between us and the things that we were previously comfortable with. There's, a, there's an increased distance between us and practices of life that previously felt normal and felt comfortable that now no longer feel comfortable because the light of God's presence and glory is increasing in our life. And, and as a result, darkness feels increasingly dysfunctional. And, and, and there's an increasing desire to not tolerate that which is dark of darkness in our lives. You know, in kind of the grace emphasis of our generation in the church, it's, it's easy for us to hear kind of this lopsided kind of view of the kingdom that says, oh, we're in the new covenant and all you have to do is receive, receive, receive. Everything's a gift and everything's grace. You know, repentance only occurs at conversion and there's, there's nothing more to, 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 to earn. There's nothing, we don't earn anything with God and of course that's true, but, but, but there's, this, there's this ideology that kind of prevents us from reaching for more in righteousness. What we see in John 15 in the New Covenant, Jesus said this phrase. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You know, and someone says, oh, that just sounds so Old Testament. And I was like, no, it's Jesus in the New Testament. 
and it's the kingdom. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. So there's a distinguishment that Jesus makes here between servants and friends. And the Lord helped me out recently in this distinction as I began to identify kind of the, 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 the nature of the believer, the identity of the believer. I'm writing a devotional right now, a 30-day devotional, Prayers of Transformation, 30 days um, declaring your heavenly identity, where we take a unique aspect of the original design of every of the Christian from the scriptures we unpack it and then there's a declaration that everyone uh, the person the reader makes at the end of, of each day and uh, so I'm big on spiritual identity and how many of you know that when you come into the kingdom you come to the kingdom as like a bondservant I mean Paul a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ this idea from Exodus, uh, I think it's chapter 21, it is written somewhere in that region. It, you know, this idea that if a servant loved his master, decided that his master was good, and had his best interests in mind, that servant can, could, could, could um, connect himself to that master for, forever, for the rest of his days. In fact, what they did was they went before the government officials of the city, and the master would pierce the servant's ear through with, with an awl. And that, his new earring would be a sign that he was a family member be, locked because of love in trust for his master. Of course, Jesus was the ultimate bondservant of the father. Amen. He was the one who was pierced through in love, in obedience to the father, in order to, be etern to represent eternal connection to him. And we are assigned that same identity as we step into the kingdom. But it's fascinating that the disciples who are with Jesus for now three years, Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm adding to your bondservant identity, this identity that you're someone who's following me in love, calling me Lord. I'm adding to your identity now something that you've, you've positioned by virtue of obedience. I'm calling you now friends. We come into the kingdom as bondservants and sons and daughters, yes, but friendship with God requires cultivation. It requires investment. It requires a sense of intimacy. It requires building a history with God. And as I began to see this distinction, servants, the Lord's highlighting, servants doesn't know, don't know God's secrets. They simply hear and obey. But friends know the secrets of God. A little example, I remember leaving the house. As I often do, is I leave the house, put on my shoes. The kids know because we have a shoeless house, you know. As I'm putting on my shoes, everyone's like, Dad, where are you going? Dad, where are you going? Daddy, where are you going? We got four. So we get at least 16 dads where you're going, you know, because there's about four for each kid, you know. Or, and maybe one kid asks twice, but another kid asks eight times. So it evens out, you know. Uh, how many, say amen, some parents. Like, they get about 16 dad where are you goings. And sometimes, I'm not going to lie, I come out of my Christian, I just say, I just say, Nunya. They're like, where's Nunya? I say, Nunya business. <laughs> Why? They, you don't, they don't, I don't have to tell them where I'm going, parents say amen. Like, you don't need to know. That's for me to know and for you to find out, you know? And so it's Nunya. Sometimes with my kids, it can be Nunya, Nunya business. But my wife... Come on, put on my shoes. Honey, where are you going? Can you imagine? <laughs> Babe, Nunya, you know? <laughs> you know, as I turn the other cheek, you know? No, in other words, the, the status of our relationship, the nature of intimacy involves disclosure. Intimacy involves disclosure. So Jesus is saying, no longer do I call you servants because we've had an intimate journey together. I now call you friends. Servants don't know what the Father's doing, but all things I've heard from my Father, I've been known to you. I've shared with you secrets. The secrets of the Lord are reserved for those who fear Him. To them, He makes known His covenant. Jesus modeled this kind of, this, this, uh, sharing of his secrets with friends in, in, in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to open there. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And you remember the parable of the sower? There's a man who went to sow some seeds. Some fell by the wayside. Some 
fell among thorns, some fell among rocks, some fell on good soil. And of course, the multitudes hear this, and the multitudes who were casual followers of Jesus, eager to see something cool. At the end of this message, they just dispersed. But the disciples come to him, and they begin to press in for understanding. They're like, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. There it is again, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it's not been given. In other words, to to the disciple, to the friends, it's been given. But to the casual followers, my secrets have been not disclosed. For the one who has, that is, secrets, even more will be given. And he will have an abundance from the one who does not have, that is, secrets. Even what he has of revelation of God will be taken away. That is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For the heart of this, the people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear. In their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. I think the Lord's speaking to this to River of Life this morning. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. And blessed are your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So God is in the business of sharing his secrets with his friends. And I think the Lord is saying to River of Life even this morning, you are my friends for we've built history together and you've done what I've commanded you. And God wants to invite us in increasing measure into this disclosure of his secrets through the fear of the Lord. What are the secrets of God? Let's put that slide up there. Three things that I'll kind of articulate this morning as for the secrets of God. Number one, I believe secrets represent revelation in the word of God and in the scriptures. Number two, secrets from the scriptures represent insight into people's lives. That is through prophetic words of knowledge. And then number three, an understanding of God's purposes, perhaps in your life and even in the lives of others. Uh, Number one, revelation in the Word of God or in the Scriptures. How many of you know what it's like to open the Word of God and to have the Word of God open to you? And where it's like what you read is leaping off the page and the Father Himself, you're not only reading the Word, the Word is reading you. Like there's a sense of intimate connection with the voice of God, the person who inspired the Scriptures, who breathed out God's Word. And, and it comes alive to us. And, and, and there are things that hit us and bombs of revelation that get set off in our mind. I know what it's like to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him as we open the word of God. I also know what it's like to be bored in the Bible. Say amen. amen. Come on, honest Christians. Do you know what it's like? <laughs> to be bored in the Bible, where you feel like you open the book and it's just some other ancient text from antiquity that has no relation to your current experience or the, the condition of your heart in this moment. There's a difference. I believe secrets, God shares his secrets with his friends. And we even see in that passage in Matthew 13 and in another parallel text in the other Gospels where the multitude leaves away, but then the disciples come into the house and they're like, hey, uh, Jesus, could you like explain to us that parable? Because we didn't get anything you just said. <laughs> you know, this happened on a few occasions and the Lord said, sure. He's like, but if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand all the parables? And he be- began to explain to them the seed, the, the sower that sows a seed is the son of man. And he begins to articulate the interpretation of the parable. This is fascinating when you think about that Jesus is sharing secrets from God's word with his intimate followers. That those who are more closely following him, growing in the fear of the Lord, which is the hatred of evil, have access to supernatural understanding and knowledge of the word of God. Those who are content to just casually follow Jesus and merely attend and hear sermons at a distance 
but be disengaged from friendship and intimate friendship with him. Don't have the luxury of disclosure. Instead, in some respects, what is said to them, nunya. And so the Lord is inviting you in increased measure into the fear of the Lord as the doorway to receiving God's secrets in his word. And I tell you the truth, some of you are bored today in the counsel of God. You're bored when you open the scriptures. And I'm not here to rebuke you. I'm here to encourage you and exhort you to reach for revelation from God through the doorway of the fear of the Lord. Perhaps your dullness and your boredom is indicative of an area of compromise where God has shown his light, the light of his glory in an area of your life and you've said no. This is the beauty of repentance. That it, there, it unlocks veils from our eyes so that we can gaze with accuracy at the word of Christ, with freedom and be transformed into the same image from glory to glory. My friend, Corey uh, Russell from IHOP Kansas City, he says, tell you what, he says, God's not boring, you're boring. <laughs> I love that. God's not boring, you're boring. If we're, if we're bored in the word of God, it's not God's problem. If there's a disconnect between us and the Lord, when we open the Holy Scriptures, it might be indicative of the fact that we are living in a, ma a measure of spiritual dullness by our own comfort in darkness. And, what, and repentance unlocks some veils over our eyes and enables us to see with clarity the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Come on, is this good? I'm preaching myself this morning. <laughs> Number two, insight into people's lives, words of knowledge. I love the, the scripture. Um, I think I have it here on a slide. First Corinthians, is there a first Corinthians chapter 14 in there? Second Corinthians chapter five. Oh, we won't go there. I must not have given you this scripture. I think of second Corinthians chapter four, 14, first Corinthians 14, excuse me, spiritual gifts passage. First Corinthians 14, right? 1 Corinthians 14. <laughs> We're there. We're there. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul says, if, if an unbeliever walks into the room and the whole church is speaking in tongues, come on, Shabbatabaduya, keys to the Honda, you know. <laughs> Some Pentecostals in the room are offended. I'm offended. You know? <laughs> That's why I'm a traveling preacher, you know. I just go, I just tease <laughs> the non-believer walks into the room, the whole church is speaking in tongues. They're going to think you're crazy for no one's going to understand what you're saying. But he says, but Paul says, if a non-believer walks into the room and the whole church is prophesying, that is moving in revelation, even sharing words of knowledge and wisdom and insight, declaring prophetic things, that is declaring information that they could only know from God. If an unbeliever walks in the room and the whole room is prophesying, Paul says, they're going to have the secrets of their heart disclosed by all. Convicted by all, they're going to fall down on their knees and they're going to declare, God is truly among you. In other words, they're going to have an experience with the omniscient one, the God who knows everything and yet loves the individual enough to share their secrets with strangers in the church around them. God's secrets. I'm convinced that as we grow in the fear of the Lord and our hatred of evil, that one of the things that happens, one of the fruits of, of that reality is that God in, increasingly entrusts us with his secrets. You say, well, I thought that was a spiritual gift. It is. But I'm, I believe that, my, and, and I've seen this in my own experience, as I have grown in the fear of the Lord, and as I have come out of areas of darkness in my life, I've positioned myself and made myself a greater target of God's revelation. So it still remains a gift, but because I'm increasing in friendship, God is more inclined to share his secrets with his friends. Recently, I've been reaching for this, you know, and um, I was in Northern California ministering um, a couple weeks ago, and um, at a youth camp and then speaking in a, 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 a revival group at um, BSSM. And 
in that, in, in that ministry trip, I was kind of on this kick of, Lord, share your secrets with me and increase measure, you know. And I, as I often do, wrote down a list of prophetic words God gave me before the meetings that I was going to speak in. And then I'd look for the people. And, and, and sure enough, the Lord showed me faces and gave me some names and, that were accurate. And I had written these down in the journal. And I'll never forget the first night at this youth gathering, youth camp. I called a girl out, you know. And I said, I don't know what this means, but I see a picture of you um, climbing out of the trunk of a car. And I hear the Lord says, there has been an unusual mercy that's been poured out on your life. And um, I hear the Lord saying the consequences could have been worse. But because of his love for you, there's been an unusual mercy poured out on your life. And God has spared you from the greater consequences. And he's calling you out of darkness and into the light of his glory and his grace. And there was more to the prophetic word. Well, she came forward later that evening to receive Christ along with several dozen young people, just gave their lives to Jesus. She told me after the meeting, she says, you have no idea what you said. She said a couple of months ago, um, well, she gave the context. She says, I'm here. I'm a part of the, gr uh, the, the, the group home. She's part of a court-mandated group home. That's why she was in our meeting. The whole group home was attending our meeting. And um, she said, a couple of months ago, I was in a trunk of a car. And I was placed there by a man who had taken advantage of me and, of course, was planning even further um, abuse against her. And at some point, the trunk opened. She jumped out and ran away and escaped. The father came to this, little, this, young, this young one said, You're, you've escaped a trunk of a car, and it's because of an unusual mercy been poured out on you because I love you. Because you're the pearl of, the, of great price that I've spent everything to acquire. She gave her life to Jesus right then and there, you know. God's secrets. Come on, I want that, amen? I want that. Lord, just, just do that in my life till you return. God's secrets. Some of us here, not only does, is, is the Lord inviting us into a greater revelation in the word, but he's inviting us into a greater outpouring of, of prophetic grace, like words of knowledge. Because of, in friendship, God's inclined to share his secrets with his friends. And I think that's available, and God's offering that to a river of life. I feel that. And then, of course, number three, an understanding of, of God's purposes in your life. I think this one is significant because too often Christians just, instead of living from glory to glory, we live from one season of ignorance to another season of ignorance. But Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants. The servant doesn't know what the, the master is doing. I call you friends for everything I've known from the Father I've made known to you. This doesn't mean that the disciples had perfect knowledge about everything Jesus was doing. But it meant that they were on the inside. They had the inside scoop about some of God's purposes and ways in their life. And how many of you know when you're going through seasons of darkness and tribulation, you need a little insight as to what God is doing in your life to sustain you and strengthen you and keep you on the straight and narrow. And I, I'm convinced that, you know, as the Proverbs say, without prophetic vision, without insight from God... The people cast off restraint. They become discouraged. What is, what, what is the writer saying there? He's saying without understanding heaven's insight, perhaps to even God's purposes in our lives, it makes it more difficult for an individual to live under God restraints. Restraints like the yoke of Jesus, which is easy, his burden, which is light. Nevertheless, it's a restraint that limits our activity to God's purposes and God's leadership. How many of you know that freedom is a yoke? Freedom is a great limitation of God. It's not, a, it's not a, the invitation to do whatever we please. It's the invitation to obedience and grace to live it out. So freedom is a yoke. It's a great limitation. It limits us to God's purposes and God's direction. But the, in the Proverbs, it says, without prophetic vision, people just cast off yokes, cast off restraints. I don't want to live this way anymore because it's gotten too hard and too difficult and I, I, I don't get what God's doing. In, in that ignorance, in those seasons of darkness, we begin to question God's character and nature, His goodness, His kindness, His mercy, His love. 
And as a result, without prophetic vision, we give up when the going gets tough. So in the ways of God, as we grow in friendship with him through the fear of the Lord, God is inclined to share his secrets in in our seasons of darkness. In those pressure cooker seasons where things get more intense, we have less space around us and circumstances press in on us and in on us and in on us. And when we want to quit and we want to give up, the Lord whispers a little bit of his purpose. Just enough to keep us going. Amen. Have you experienced this way of God in your life? He shares just enough to keep us going. God's secrets. I think of something God's doing in my own life, um, in, in, in my wife and I's life in this season. It's been a really fun of time, especially since the turn of the year for Jenny and I, because we have been experiencing uh, a measure of personal revival. You know, I'm a preacher of personal revival, and I believe personal revival begets regional revival, you know, cor- or corporate revival. But, but, you know, in a recent season, it's like the Lord's been drawing near as we've drawn near to him. Man, and he's removing veils, and he's causing our hearts to come alive in a fresh way. And it's just been such a beautiful journey and awakening for my wife and I. Um, and it's been great for our marriage, praise the Lord. <laughs> How many of you know you get close to Jesus? Oh, dang. Together, your marriage gets really good, you know? Whew, thank you, Jesus. And, um, but it started because I began to read, uh, no, I was in prayer, and I was, I was thinking about a topic of passion of mine, about the, um, the empowerment of women, the ministry of women, you know? And uh, I was thinking about, uh, you know, the, the great woman leader in the church, Heidi Baker. You know, you're familiar with her book, you know, Roland Heidi Baker's Always Enough. You know, I've been inspired by that for years and years and years. And, um, and I was like, Lord, why is there only one Heidi Baker? I know that there's only one, but why is there only, like, one woman on the earth that that we you know at least it has caught the public eye where we know she moves in signs and wonders is with her husband planted thousands of churches cares for the orphan like even those who don't believe in the church that women couldn't be elders like everyone would go oh yeah she's an apostle <laughs> you know because in other words the virtue the, the greatness of her gift and her ministry is so explosive that even those in the church camps who don't believe that we should have women elders and this and that would go, oh, yeah, 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 she's just like something special. You know, we would all kind of go, yes. But, but my question as a leader is, why don't we have a 1,000, 10,000 women moving in supernatural power in the nations of the earth, pushing forward God's agenda? And I know there are many great women laboring. I, I don't mean to diminish that reality. I'm just saying, why is there only one? Does that make sense? Like, this is the burden I was before the Lord on. And I began to pray, like, Lord, increase my capacity as even a male leader to empower women around me so that we can have a thousand more like her released into the world. That's like what was boiling up in my spirit. It's like, Lord, I want to be a, a leader who, who, who would live for the advance of others. And in that same week, a friend of mine in, in the missions world gave me a stack of books kind of on the empowerment of women in ministry, you know. And I took that stack of books home. It was gold, put it on my desk, and I started reading through. After I read the first chapter, the Lord stopped me in prayer. He says, I don't want you to read this like an academic. I want you to read this like there's a heart issue that you need breakthrough on. And I was like, what? I knew what the Lord was saying. He was saying, if I can have personal revival on this topic, then... That is the heart issues in men that have historically subjugated women, that have historically oppressed women, that have historically put women in check and created a small yoke around them that has limited their activity and reduced it beyond that which the gospel has set. I knew that if I would, the Lord was inviting me into a season of breakthrough, a season of the fear of the Lord on this topic. Will you hate with increasing measure the evil that is on the earth in this arena. And so I began to read these chapters, book after book on this topic, and can I tell you there was much prayer at the end of each chapter and repentance as I began to see kind of the history of how the evil one has used even men through 
uh, through heart issues of pride and dominance, and where men have, as, as a gender, used, we've used our authority and our power instead of to lift up but to push down. And this began to, I began to see it in my own life and in my own attitudes and my own thinking and generations before me. And I began to pray on these topics in increased measure, and book after book. And it was fascinating. What happened was, um, you know, I, uh, there was a, I decided I'm going to write a blog on this. I, I haven't written a blog in a three or four years, which is typically any blog writers. Like, yeah, I haven't written a blog in three or four years, you know. So I'm going to write about this. And so I wrote a simple blog on, on, on what God is doing in, the, in this arena and what I see in the church. And so I wrote the blog. At the end of the blog, this is what happened. You know, last paragraph of the last sentence, I pressed period. And it was like this kind of season of revelation, and I'm still in it, but I've been translated into at least one art, small article that I'd written in and at the end of it, I'm like, thank you, Lord, it's done. Immediately, I get hit with a wave of nausea. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to lose my lunch here. And I stood up, ran to the bathroom, and started heaving. And, uh, and then I went, I was done. Nausea lifted. I went and sat down at the table where I was writing. And I thought, oh, what was that all about? One of our housemates, our ministry team members, Amy, came downstairs. And she goes, was that you just coughing? I was like, no, I just puked. And, <laughs> and, and she, go, she looks at me with discernment. And she goes, you just got delivered. And I'm like, oh, that's actually legit what happened. You know, like I had just been through this process and this journey of growing in my hatred for the things that God hates, repenting. And then I had leveraged my voice and my authority to speak on this topic in an increased way. And at the end of that, you know, there was like a breakthrough on my life in, this, in the spirit that even was evidenced in the natural. And I've seen people when they've been set free, vomit and do different things. You know, I've ministered to people like that, but it's never happened to me. You know, it's not supposed to happen to pastor, you know. <laughs> and so here I am, and I felt this, this sense of release. And in that same season, my wife, in her hunger for God, begins to be percolating. And she's having her own spiritual revival. And I'm getting texts from her as I'm on the road. And she says, you got to listen to pastor's sermon on Sunday. She says, I'm just weeping in the room. I'm like, when was the last time my wife was weeping? She was hearing the preaching of the word of God. Oh, her hunger is being provoked. God, thank you for what you're doing. And my wife's like, I want to start a women's group. You, you want to start a what? there's something that's provoking. And she's like, I want to share some of the things that I just want to journey with women on these, on these topics. And I'm like, she's coming alive. Well, this whole kind of, in this process, we found ourselves doing a freedom equip, as I'm wrapping up here, at Michigan State University, the beginning of January, or end of January, on the campus of Michigan State University. They're in East Lansing. And many of us are aware that the eyes of the nation have been turned in many respects to, to some things that have taken place in Lansing and Michigan State University specifically with former Dr. Nassar, the former physician associated with Michigan State University athletic programs, as well as the U.S. women's gymnastics team. Some evil things. And of course, as you, many of you know, I have my own story of being a victim of sexual abuse, but also being one who's been healed and set free and restored. And as we were there before the last session of, the, uh, of that meeting, I'm walking in the frigid Michigan. You think it's cold here. I'm walking in Michigan <laughs> in January. Like, who does, who does events there in January, you know? There I'm walking on the camps. I'm like, Lord, I just want to preach a fun sermon to go out with the bang. I want to preach on prophecy or evangelism, pump people up, make them laugh, and then I want to hide pe five people and take an offering and go home. That's what I want to do, Lord, you know. And the Lord's like, will you confront a mountain of darkness with me? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Lord, I want to preach a fun sermon and make people laugh and high five them on the way out. So will you confront the mountain of sexual immorality with me and sexual abuse? I'm like, oh, Lord, I want to be your friend. Yes, Lord. 
he reminded me of a conversation I had a week before in my, in my gym when I was talking with a friend. He said, what are you doing this week? And I'm, so I'm doing a conference at Michigan State University. And he goes, oh. He's like, one of my best friend's daughters was a gymnast at MSU and one of the victims. When this man said these words, my heart was... The Lord reminded me of that moment. I said, I, I have to speak on this. I have to speak to this area of darkness. We have to take the message of hope into an environment of darkness to invite people into healing and restoration. So I got up there, ditched the slideshow and the notes, and said, I'm here to tell a story. And I shared the gospel. I shared my own story of abuse, and my own story of pain. And story, own story of injustice. And we began to kind of uncover this through the foolishness of preaching. And how many of you know there's a culture of silence on this topic in the church today? We have abdicated our role in discipling the next generation on the topic of sexuality. We've abdicated our role to culture. And then we've shaken our fist at the next generation because of its immorality. It's, it, we're, we're self-contradictory. We've abdicated our role in discipling the next generation on the topic of sexuality. And then we've turned and prophetically shaked our, shook our fists at the next generation for their immorality. It doesn't make any sense. We've entertained a culture of silence on the topic. And so God's raising up prophetic voices that will break the culture of silence with a message of hope, with a message of healing, restored voices who can speak without shame about their own journey of healing and redemption. And so I'm there proclaiming this message on the campus of Michigan State University with four or 500 people in attendance from a variety of churches and a variety of ministries. And then the Lord says, will you give an altar call for those who want to bring their story of abuse into the light and begin a healing journey? I've given lots of altar calls, but it was never like if you've been sexually abused and you want to start a healing journey through forgiveness, come forward. That was the altar call. I had elders and leaders tell me afterwards, pastors, like, I was convinced no one would come forward. We gave a call, and 100 people came forward. 100 people came forward, got on their knees to say, me too, before the Lord Jesus Christ. And with the intent of bringing their darkness into the light so that they could get set free of shame, they could get healed, and they could release forgiveness to their abuser. 100 came forward, and there were tears and tears of mourning and grief and trauma. And then there were tears of healing and restoration and new life. And then there were shouts of forgiveness and shouts of debts being canceled. And a woman come up to me afterwards, an African-American woman, she said, I got free of a secret that I've held on to for 60 years. I had a young high school woman that had shared with us, she said, this is the first time that I've brought this story into the light in public. And she said, I was actually one of the gymnasts and a victims of Nassar. She said, I feel like the Lord's asking me to take the, the stand at his hearing next week and to proclaim that Jesus forgives and heals and restores. There was a breakthrough there not only as people up front were being healed, but as church leaders saw the reality of what was in their own congregation and that laid against the backdrop of their silence on the topic. They began to see, we have not been creating environments where people can be healed and set free. I'm convinced that one of the, the keys that will unlock the heart of a generation and salvation will be ch ch the church with restored voice proclaiming the gospel that heals our sexual brokenness. Addiction and sexual brokenness. There'll be two of the main messages that are going to be leveraged to bring people into the kingdom.
And everybody go, now we're proclaiming this message and we're seeing droves respond. And we need to break the silence, amen? How does this relate? So you want to be a friend of God. You want to hate what God hates. Love what he loves. And keep, keep in step with him, even if it means speaking light and hope into an area of darkness that intimidates you. Breaking a culture of silence and inviting a generation to hope and healing and restoration. Friends, I think the Father is here inviting River of Life Fellowship, River of Life Community Church, into an, a deeper experience of the fear of the Lord. Will you hate what I hate? Will you love what I love? And he's inviting us through that to becoming targets of his secrets. Worship team, will you come on up? We're going to pray here. Thank you, Lord. We doing okay? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, friends. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us in a song. And as we're singing this, we're really inviting the Lord to increase the fear of the Lord in our lives. We'll have a time of ministry, a time of healing. I believe the Lord wants to move, minister to some folks in the room in an increased way today. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we stand before you thankful for your love for us, thankful for the work, the sacrifice of Jesus. We're thankful, Lord, that there's an invitation extended to every follower of Jesus, every servant of the Lord, an invitation into intimate friendship with God. And Lord, we, say, we tell you tonight, this morning, Lord, we want to be friends. We want to be your friends, Lord. We want to build a history with you. God, we don't want to be the multitude who are content to live idly in spiritual dullness, numb before you. God, we don't want to simply dismiss your words or simply be entertained by mess- your messages and your word. God, we want to be yoked to Jesus. We want intimate friendship with God. We want to be close to your heart. We want to know you and be known by you. Oh, Father, we pray, release to us, Lord, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Father, we pray, open the eyes of our understanding, God, that we would know what is the hope of our calling, what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. God, what is the surpassing greatness of your power that's available to us who believe, God, the same power that you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead, when you seated him in heavenly places and you kept, you called all things to be placed under his feet. Oh Lord, open our eyes. Say, tell the Lord, open my eyes. Oh God, we pray, Lord, if there are areas of compromise, areas of dullness and mediocrity in our lives, areas where we're comfortable and you're calling us out of that darkness and into light, Lord, we pray, shine the light of your glory on our lives today. If that's in your heart, say, yes, Lord. Shine the light of your glory in our lives today. Let us see, God. Let us see, God. Let us see, God. I pray, Lord, for personal revival to come to individuals and family lives and marriages throughout this church family, Lord. Increased personal revival, Lord. God, I pray that some of the same revival fires that have been sparked in the Narciso family in this recent season, Lord, would would be ignited in greater measure, Lord, here at River of Life. Oh, I pray, Lord... Fan the flames of personal revival. Call us. Cause us to come awake. Cause us to become alive again. Oh, Lord, we love you. Oh, Lord, we worship you. Oh, Lord, we love you. Oh, Lord, we worship you. Oh, Lord, we love you and we worship you. And in this next song, if you're here and you're like, man, I, 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 there are areas of darkness or mediocrity that 
I just want to say I'm coming out of in this season. And if that's you, just, just make your way forward to stand before the Lord as we minister to the Lord in this next song. If, if you're here and you're like, I want to come out of an area of spiritual dullness, you're going to come forward this morning. Thank you, Lord. Let's respond to the Lord this morning. And when you walk into the room, everything changes. Darkness starts to tremble as the light that you bring. And when you walk into the room, every heart starts burning. And nothing matters more than just to sit here at your feet and worship you. We love you. And we'll never stop. Can live without you, Jesus, and we love you, and we can get enough, and all this is for presence, kneeling in your presence, God, we declare, Lord, we are committing with resolve this morning, Lord, to step in greater measure into the light of the fear of the Lord. God, we pray, increase our hatred for that which is evil in your sight, Lord. Increase our love for that which is righteous before you, Lord. God, in areas of spiritual mediocrity and moral compromise, where there are those areas in our life right now, turn up the fire of your holiness in our life. Yes. Turn up the fires of your holiness in my life, Lord. Oh, God, give me the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of counsel and wisdom and knowledge and understanding, the spirit of power and of might and of the fear of the Lord. Right now, may the Holy Spirit in the fear of the Lord be extended to you in Jesus' name. I pray, God, loose the spirit of burning in hearts in this room right now. Yes. The spirit of burning, God, that confronts areas of compromise in darkness and releases God's holy fire that burns away that which is unrighteous. Oh, Lord, release it to us. Release it to us. Release it to us. Begin to cry out to God. God, release to me the spirit of burning and the fear of the Lord. Come and awaken my family. Come and awaken my community. Come and awaken my church, oh God. God, we pray for eyes to be open, ears to be open in the name of Jesus. Oh Lord. Oh Lord, I feel like there needs to be some shouts this morning that would release a breakthrough in your own life. Like a, a a fierce shout, a fierce shout, a fierce shout of the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, sometimes, just sometimes, as the Lord leads, a shout is required, even as a shout was used.
to see the walls of Jericho fall. Sometimes there's walls of dullness and mediocrity in our lives. Walls of comfort that, that represent no-fly zones, territories of our lives that are unclaimed by God. And sometimes it just takes a shout to awaken. Awaken us into God's purposes. And to seize that new territory. If there's anyone else that needs to come forward, you're welcome to do that now. Lord, we thank you for this holy moment. We thank you for the work of your holiness that's drawing near to us, Lord. But our prayer teams just to come lay hands on folks this morning. If there's anyone here, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you. I feel like there's, there's something on parents right now. The Lord's saying, there's to be no compromise. And there's, for moms, for dads in this room, there's just a storyline where the Lord's turning up the fires of holiness. And he's, and he's wanting us to examine our own homes afresh. Thank you, Lord. God, give wisdom to parents in this room. Wisdom for leadership. Wisdom for shepherding. Wisdom for pastoring kids, Lord. I bless them. I bless you. I bless you, Mom. I bless you, Dad. May you lead courageously, full of love. And may you reveal to the generation after you a joyful holiness. A joyful holiness. A happy holiness. May you reveal to a generation after you who's watching you a way of righteousness that is full of life and full of joy. I bless you today. I bless you today. I bless you today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We also want to give a call for those who have need for, for healing prayer, for healing touch of the Lord. Just to kind of come and raise your hand where you're at. and We're going to come begin to lay hands on you. We want to pray for healing this morning. If you need a healing touch from the Lord, please come lay, raise a hand up or where you're, where you're at. And if you're around someone who has a hand raised, please come to them. We're going to continue to worship the Lord for a moment here, but we're going to continue to minister as well. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, your name. He is a light that the shadows can deny. Your name cannot be overcome. Your name is alive and forever lifted high. Your name cannot be overcome. Your name, your name, your name is a light. That the shadows can't deny Your name cannot be overcome Your name is alive And forever lifts it high Your name cannot be overcome Jesus, Jesus, Jesus you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus.
those of us that are, are still here that aren't being prayed for, can we just lift our hands again to the Lord? The Lord is imparting some things uh, to individuals, but I believe he also wants to impart to this church and to families. He's bringing us deeper. And I don't know if Adam knew we've been doing a series on the fear of the Lord, but this is the Lord confirming what he is doing in us. He wants to share his heart, his secrets, his purposes, his designs with us. Can we just say, Lord, give us all that you have. Give us all that you have. Just say it with me. Give us all that you have, Lord. We want to know your heart. We want to know you more. We want to press in and not leave anything behind, oh God. We just want to press into you and all that you have for us, God. I pray that you would release, God, this morning in our hearts a deeper revelation, a deeper understanding, a deeper awareness of the love of the Father in our hearts. God, just accomplish in us all that you want to do. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.